This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy. We are brought to you by BetMGM, and we've switched spots. You want to know why? Because I was born with a small, bald spot <laughs> on the side of my head. I don't know if you can see it if you're watching. You didn't have to admit that. I'm just, <laughs> hey, I'm an open book, okay? So I just want to be filmed on my good side for the rest of time because I'm just born with this, okay? I can't do anything about it. But uh, Mr. Kennedy, tell me what's going on. How have you been since our last podcast? Has anything exciting happened to you? I'm doing pretty well. Last week was my birthday, so... Uh... Had a very nice homemade dessert from my wife. It was very rich. It was a Reese's peanut butter cup pie. Oh, amazing. Yes. That had like a peanut butter filling and whipped cream and crushed Oreos and little mini peanut butter cups on the top. And uh, we even cut the sugar in half and it was still like the sweetest thing Mm. I've had in like two years. Delicious. And of course, I didn't know it was Ryan Kennedy's birthday. The hockey news, we're not birthday people. We just, birthdays come and go. I've been here, actually, it's going to be my 10 year anniversary this Sunday. Nice. Hockey news. But the birthdays just kind of happen and people just sweep them under the rug. I don't even, I don't even, I don't think I know how old you are. I have a guess, but Mm. I'm I'm not going to say it on air unless you want me to guess. You can guess. 41? You're very close. 42. 42. I don't think he looks 42. I think he looks younger. I always forget how old I am, too. I just know that I am. At least forty. This 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 year is the first year of my life where I started forgetting. Yeah, I, I always remembered it, but this year I didn't. Last night I went to my first in arena NHL game in twenty months, mm-hmm. and it was pretty cool. It was a great game. That three on three overtime between the Leafs and Rangers was unbelievable. But it was weird. I felt like a rookie. Like I just didn't know where to go. Everything's changed. There's different gates. I was kind of just lost puppy wandering around. But it, it was good to be back. So let's get to some hockey topics. Um, we're obviously very early in the NHL season. We're only about a week in. But there are sometimes are overreactions that actually carry some weight. So I want you to give me an early season overreaction that you actually think is legitimate. Mm. Okay, so this is kind of a two-part or one positive, one negative, based on the same team. And uh, it's the Seattle Kraken and Jared McCann. So... We thought the Seattle Kraken might have trouble scoring this year. But on the flip side, a lot of people thought, yeah, you know what? Jared McCann, this is a player that has kind of been buried on some depth charts. Maybe he'll be able to succeed with the Kraken. I think both have been true. McCann leading the Kraken in scoring. But on the flip side, Seattle already one of the lowest scoring teams in the league. And some of the teams below them have literally played one game. Seattle's already played four. So, you know, I think this is a symptom of Seattle, you know, not being able to acquire number one centers, which was obvious. You know, we knew that would be a problem. Heck, you look at Vegas. Vegas hasn't been able to get a number one center. And they've been to a Stanley Cup final and acquired some incredible players like Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty along the way. Uh, So we know that you really have to draft these guys or once in a blue moon, there's a blockbuster trade. But I think this is going to be sort of the continuing pattern with Seattle where, you know, they're going to be a competitive team, but goals will be at a premium. Uh, But at the same time, it looks like Jared McCann is really taking advantage 
of his situation where, you know, it's kind of like William Carlson that first year in Vegas where you get the ice time and you make the most of it. So right now it's kind of the Jared McCann, Brandon Tanev show when it comes to offense in Seattle. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be those two guys specifically, but I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of low scoring Kraken games as we go on with the season. I know they've been in some higher scoring games, but you know, against Philly, they only had one. It was the, yeah, the Flyers. The other team. <laughs> yeah. Scoring. Yeah. The Jared McCann, Brandon Tanev show. That's pretty crazy to think about. Brandon Tanev. Yeah. He's putting pucks in nets. Uh, for my early season overreaction, I'm, I'm going to toot my own horn, but it's okay because I'm also going to dunk on myself because I found a tweet from the summer that prophesizes something that's happening, but it also has a typo in it that I left <laughs> up for two months. So I think it's fair. I can do this now because it, it took me down a notch. Yeah. But this is my tweet on July 28th, okay? I wonder if we see an offensive explosion from Andre Kopitar now, except I wrote no and K-N-O-W. He's always tasked with shutting down the other team's best forwards. Philip Deneau, who was signed that day, can do that now. Kopitar can theoretically focus more on scoring. Does Kopitar have a monster year facing easier competition? Andre Kopitar has seven points in his first two games. I am a genius, except I also can't spell, apparently. So again, I bring it down a notch, but yeah. it is supporting. To me, it's like, okay, it's very early. But when you have a theory and something happens early that supports that theory, then mm -hmm. it's like, okay. Maybe there was something here. I, I genuinely believed it when I wrote it that day, and I still think it's the case. Philip Deneau is one of the best shutdown centers in the game. Andre Kopitar is one of the best shutdown centers of his generation, of all time, two Selkie trophies. But he also has legitimate offensive skill. He's had a 90-point season in his career. So I am wondering now if we're going to see that explosion because there's a little bit less defensive responsibility for Kopitar. So I think it does matter when we're seeing that offense so far this season. So we found out earlier this week the NHL has suspended Evander Kane 21 games for violating COVID protocol. Uh, there were the accusations of a fake vaccination card. Uh, I, I don't think the reveal was, I don't, I don't think there was specific language saying that's what it was. But if you look at uh, Evander Kane's apology, it seems to support that theory. He's very sorry for what he did. So I assume mm -hmm. that is what he did. Uh, so my main question for you is when you factor in all the other allegations that have happened coming from his estranged wife Anna Kane, which we'll get into. Mm. Uh, will we ever see Amanda Kane play an NHL game again at this point? I think we will. And, you know, in the NHL's release about the suspension, you know, they did point out that the allegations of domestic abuse that they investigated, they, they could not substantiate any of it. Mm -hmm. So at least for the time being, you know, I don't think we're going to see any supplementary discipline for, for that specific accusation. Getting back to the suspension, you know, you just, you just sometimes wish that Kane had more guidance. And I'm not sure where it comes from, but, you know, this is a, a guy that, I mean, he has a ton of talent on the ice. There's no question about that. He actually had a pretty good year last year for the Sharks in what was a tough season for San Jose. But, you know, it's these unforced errors that keep tripping him up. And, you know, we, we saw it, you know, back in his Winnipeg days uh, when it came to his relationship with his teammates and, and how frayed that got. And now, you know, you have the suspension here where you just want to sort of I mean, there's, there's clearly a lot going on behind the scenes. And you just hope that, you know, for for Kane's sake, that someone can put him on sort of this easier, I, I, would, I would call it an easier path 
-hmm. You know, it seems that there's a a lot of distractions and a, a lot of poor judgment that has been exercised by Evander Kane. But at the end of the day, you know, this is someone that can still sort of pull it back and and have a successful career. And if all the off ice stuff can get figured out, then maybe he can get back on track. And and that would be best for, you know, obviously him and the Sharks. And you just hope that it gets figured out. Yeah, it, it's hard. It's such a, a career pattern for him um, just to get into trouble, you know, even though not every allegation has been proven to be true that we know of. But it's hard. It's like the example I always think of is when you have the friend that's always having falling outs with every friend or the person who, you know, every job they have, they had a, they have a terrible boss, that kind of thing, right? It's like eventually you have to start wondering if that person is the problem. Mm. And with Evander Kane, he's someone that I personally tried to give long leash to. I thought he was sort of a misunderstood character. If you interview him, I thought he was one of the best players I've ever interviewed. He's very, what, what I thought, what I at least thought was genuine and open and he's a pretty charismatic guy, but you have to sort of, start questioning it and wonder if it's him pulling the wool over your eyes because this pattern continues over and over and over. And I I do wonder if there's some legitimate mental health issues at play here. And he did mention in his apology, he's going to participate in counseling, but I'm seeing more signs of sickness here. And I just don't know if pro hockey is the best place for him based on what we've heard so far. And this is just, this is just what we know. Who knows what else has gone on in his life with Anna Kane and everything else he's been involved in. We know that the game fixing accusations, the NHL didn't find any evidence. And I do, there's a story coming up in our magazine where I sort of dive into that more. I did talk to the, the separate party of just Sport Radar that does these investigations, integrity services into game fixing. And they explain how they do it. They didn't say for Evander Kane specifically, but what they do is they look at bets placed and they look at the timing of injury announcements. And if a bet was placed on a line that was a money line that was hammered after an injury announcement, but the bet was placed before the injury announcement. That's a sign of game fixing. Mm-hmm. The NHL didn't find any evidence of that. So we don't know for sure what Evander Kane hasn't, hasn't, hasn't done, but there are so many different accusations that have piled up. I do think that it seems to me like he's someone that needs to get away from the game. And I don't know if we're going to see him back anytime soon. I do have to wonder, will we eventually see him in the KHL? It seems to be the Island of misfit toys when anyone who has warts, whether it's, criminal accusations or you're, you know, you look at what happened with Bill Peters and the racism, the KHL just seems fine with taking anybody in any stray. So if I'm predicting right now where we're going to see Evander Kane play hockey next, I wouldn't be surprised if it was the KHL. Then again, if Tony D'Angelo can make it back, then I guess apparently anyone can. So we can't completely rule out Evander Kane because like you said, there's no denying his talent. He's got tremendous speed. He can still score. He's a physical player. Uh, but I just don't know how long it's going to take to sort out everything that's going on in his personal life. And every time we, it seems like it's over, another big bombshell drops. So who knows what else is going to be out there for Kane. Uh, so we <laughs> found out earlier this week, and immediately I'm laughing, and I think this was everyone's reaction, Nikita Kucherov suffered a mysterious injury, lower body injury, undisclosed exactly what it is, but it looked like it might have been groin or core, some, somewhere in that region. Mm-hmm. We know, of course, that he had the hip surgery last year. The Lightning have announced that it is not a day-to-day thing, so we know they're going to be without Kucherov for a significant period of time. So let's put on our tinfoil hats because everyone else is doing it. The immediate reaction is picturing Kucherov just parachuting back in for game one of the playoffs. Oh, hello, everyone. I'm back. I'm suddenly healthy. And do you subscribe to this? Do you think it's just an unfortunate coincidence or do you think that something is going to be afoot again? I think it's just an unfortunate coincidence. I mean, you don't want to be without Nikita Kucherov. 
for a long time. And yes, there are obviously cap implications here. It is a flat cap. Um, but Tampa Bay had to jettison a lot of talent over the summer. If you really wanted to be a conspiracy theorist, you know, they would have, you know, told Kucherov to get an injury during training and then they could have held on to like Blake Coleman or, you know, whoever. Um, it's it's too bad. It's It's kind of... You know, it's funny for outsiders. It's certainly funny for people on Twitter and not funny for Tampa Bay writers who are losing their minds uh, on Twitter about this defending the Bolts, which is very curious. It's like people are going to make jokes. I mean, what are you going to do, they right? Have to. It writes itself. It writes itself. You know, it's like Nikita Kucherov is day to day. He'll be back May 5th or, yeah. you know, whatever, whenever the playoffs start. But, you know, I, I mean, I saw the play in question and he, you know, he definitely grimaced. And I mean, if it was some sort of like, you know, wrestling kayfabe, then he's the champ. Because <laughs> I mean, you know, to just decide that it's like, this is where I'm going to make it seem like I, you know, hurt my hip again or something like that. Um, Injuries happen, especially early on in seasons. And, you know, you mentioned when it comes to the groin, uh, the core, even hips. I mean, early season, we've seen it so often with players because they're just getting back into game shape. No matter how well you do in the offseason, you're going at a different speed when the games actually matter. And these things happen. And it's it's terrible that it happened to Kucherov again. And I know people are having fun with it, but I don't think this is some grand cap conspiracy. Yeah, I, I agree with you for the most part, um, especially you know, Nikita Kucherov is a, a world-class hockey player, not a world-class actor. Yeah. So it's not like he's going to give the performance of a lifetime. And I'm sure he wants to be out there. Players who are professional athletes, 99% of them really enjoy what they do, Maybe except for maybe Connor McDavid. But uh, I, I assume that Kucherov wants to be out there. He's building what is probably going to be a Hall of Fame career if you look at the resume he's starting to put together. Uh, so I, I certainly believe he's actually hurt. But, I'm going to throw in the big but, if you're Julian Breezeblah, I think the one thing you can say is, of course we didn't do this on purpose. But now that it happened, if this is an injury with a six-month recovery, so six months from now would be mid to late April, maybe it can be a seven-month recovery. If you're there already, if this has happened, there's nothing you can do about it, and I do genuinely think that Kucherov has suffered this injury, I do think now Tampa can say, well, okay, we're in the situation, and it's going to be a long recovery time period, so it could benefit us to just push the recovery a little further if necessary, because it's sort of the way things happened last year. It was very nebulous. We didn't know what was going on and we had no way of really knowing exactly when Kucherov was game ready. But mm. if you, if you think of him, if you look at how good he was when he immediately came back, he looked like someone who was already in shape and mm. had been working on his game for a while. So you never know. It could happen again. So I, I do agree. It's tinfoil hat kind of stuff, but I, I do think we can't rule out the fact that Tampa now that it's happened, could do it again, especially because we know they can survive without Nikita Kucherov. Yes, they've moved back to the Atlantic and they have to tangle with Boston, Florida, but they've handled them before. The Leafs as well. You also have Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa in this division. You can beat up on them and pad your record. And even without Kucherov and that entire third line, the Lightning still have so much talent that they, I think, can still hang and be, at, at the very worst, a fringe playoff team or, or mm. a low, low-rung playoff team. And that's all they need. Once they're in, they're good. So don't be surprised if they drag out this injury timeline. I do have a feeling though, that if they make some sort of announcement or there's speculation that they make some sort of announcement like that, they will get a call from New York. They will just be, don't do that. Yes. 
click. <laughs> People will just lose it too. It's worth it just for the chaos. Like the, sure. the, Elmo, the Elmo meme with the fire in the background. I, right. That part of me wants this to happen. <laughs> Um, so there was a, a sad announcement, but not overly surprising this week. Uh, Jimmy Hayes, of course, who passed away uh, in, in the late summer, um, his family members revealed to the Boston Globe that he had cocaine and fentanyl in his system at the time of his death. And they did so because they want others to know this story as a cautionary tale. He was dealing with pain pill addiction and he wasn't able to kick it, even though he did go to rehab from what I understand. So... In your mind, does the NHL do enough for its retired players? We know that, of course, there's the player assistance program, which applies to active players. But do retired players sometimes slip through the cracks? And does something need to change about how they help and sort of monitor the careers of retired players or players who are I don't know if Jimmy Hayes was officially retired but he was not playing hockey since 2019. Yeah, I think this is going to be an evolving issue as these things come more to light and it's you know, it's really good for the Hayes family to to put this out there because it, it might help other NHLers who could be struggling with addiction and, and don't feel comfortable coming forward yet. You know, there is the NHL Alumni Association, and, you know, that's a group that retired players can turn to and, and get advice. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, Hayes might have been in that sort of murky middle where he was not quite retired. I'm not sure what the status was, you know. I think that having these discussions is very important and, you know, we're hearing much more about, and, you know, we talked about this on the podcast last week, um, just about, you know, the number of pain pills that some NHLers uh, have taken, you know, due to injury. And, you know, it can be very difficult to kick that habit. I mean, if you look at, you know, uh, the U.S. as a whole, opioids have been a huge crisis for years now um, and probably didn't get as much attention as it should have. But the whole situation is very sad because, you know, with fentanyl, you know, this is a very dangerous drug that, um, you know, we're seeing more and more uh, how unpredictable it can be. And, you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, cocaine, if it's getting mixed with fentanyl, you're not going to know it for the most part. Um, and, and obviously the ramifications are very serious. And I, I have to imagine for a lot of NHL players, um, you know, this has to be a wake up call where it's just it's just too dangerous to be going outside of, um, you know, I, like I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the idea of taking street drugs for anybody, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you have to be super cautious now. And, you know, I mean, with marijuana legalization in, in Canada and a lot of states, I mean, it's I'm not one to talk because I, I don't do drugs. But, you know, for for pain um, medication, it, it feels like getting marijuana from a legal source um, would be a, a fantastic alternative, um, you know, if, and, you know, it's easy to say, you know, don't get addicted to pain pills. Mm-hmm. I think that's a separate issue, you know, um, you know, because they're taking prescribed drugs and then you build up a tolerance or yeah, you build up a tolerance and you need more. That's something that you need doctors to get involved really quickly. And, you know, a lot of people need help with those addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's not these prescription uh, drugs, it, it just feels like going with something that is more, um, 
you know, contained and stable and you know what you're getting. I mean, it's not just for hockey players, that goes for everybody. It feels like that would be the safer path just for everybody involved. Yeah, and I do think maybe the way the future, especially in terms of pain management, it could be CBD or hemp. And I, I know mm. Seth Jones was telling me that this summer that he he's now a spokesperson for a CBD company and he rubs, he puts the oil on on his muscles before he works out. So maybe that's the next wave. It's a lot safer and, mm. and much more controlled. Uh, with Jimmy Hayes, it, it's tough because, like we said, we don't know whether he was officially an, an, an alumnus or what exactly his status was. Um, but the Alumni Association, it does, in theory, offer the help that he would have needed. So the, the way that they describe it on their own, I guess, their website is they offer financial assistance, commercializing players' rights, emotional support, physical care, post-playing career transition, and family aid. So under that umbrella, I think that the assistance would be there. But the thing is with Jimmy Hayes, it's like his family, uh, as we saw in that Boston Globe article from his dad, they they were there for him. They supported him. They helped him get to rehab. They knew he had a problem. They talked to him about the problem, and it still wasn't enough. So that's the that's the thing about addicts. It's not like Jimmy Hayes was someone who slipped through the through the cracks, kind of like a Joe Murphy, hmm. and is out in the world or homeless or anything like that. It's like he had children. He had a family. He was married. He had a, a good support system from, from what we've heard, and it still didn't matter. Hmm. So I don't think you can pin the blame on anyone, unfortunately, but but him and, and but his addiction because I think the way it goes with anyone who's been touched by addiction or with anyone close in their life, you know that the addict eventually has to be willing to help themselves. And in this case, I guess he wasn't, or he just took a chance and with fentanyl, it can be one strike and you're out, which is super sad, but it's just the way it is. So I I don't think we can sort of blame the alumni association or anyone for not helping him because the way we understand it, the support was there. Super, super sad story. Um, so let's go to some listener questions now. This one is from Joe Broski, maybe Joe Broski, I'm not sure. Joe wants to know, how long do the Philadelphia Flyers give Carter Hart before he is the number two goalie? It's a fair question, of course, after last season was so disastrous, he had a tough first start of the year. This question was submitted before the second game of the season, and Carter Hart was much better on Monday night. Um, I still do think he has a, a ton of leash, especially when Martin Jones is your number two, who has been arguably the worst goaltender in hockey for the last three seasons combined, there's not exactly someone pushing Carter Hart for the job. Um, And it's not like you can send Carter Hart down for seasoning in the AHL. He's not waiver exempt. Um, And to me, I I think he's going to be okay. And that's what's so fascinating to me about what happened last year. He's so mentally strong. It's a defining characteristic of his game. And it's been that way his whole life. It's a story that everyone's talked about, how he's been involved involved with sports psychology from a young age. But even just his own mental fortitude, when I did a story on him last year, one of the, the many tales his parents told me, one was when he first showed up to Everett in the WHL. He was 16 years old, and he told coach Kevin Constantine, I want to be the starting goaltender by Christmas. And he was sort of laughed out of the room. And it was like, hey, kid, just calm down. And he did it. Shortly after Christmas, he was a starter. He never looked back. And to me, it just sort of was a testament to how much self-belief he had, even as a teenager, and how mentally tough he is. So even playing in Philadelphia, which is arguably the hardest sports city to play in, I still believe that Carter Hart can turn it around because he... that what It's not like he's he's this delicate flower who is going to crumble under the pressure. The, the number one characteristic that was used to describe his game was that he's so calm and mentally tough. So I, I still think it's fair to bet on him, especially because there just isn't much help behind him. They don't really have a choice but to let him figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And that was sort of the the big question mark heading into the season is, okay, if 
if Carter Hart's getting more help, is, is Martin Jones really the answer? It didn't really feel like it was. And I know that, you know, uh, a focus for the Flyers in the offseason was getting better defensively, part of that to help Carter Hart out, mm-hmm. um, you know, make sure that uh, he, he's getting to see shots and he's not seeing as many high danger shots and, you know, that the players are in the right positions to, to help him out. You know, I, I will say that if things go pear-shaped, um, really at this point, Philadelphia's only kind of hope is that maybe you catch lightning in a bottle with one of your young guys that's in Lehigh Valley right now in the AHL. They have Felix Sandstrom. They have Samuel Erson. Um, obviously, the season has just begun there for the Phantoms, so we don't have a big sample size. But both of them are playing pretty decently. You know, the numbers are good. Um, and, you know, those guys are sort of 24 years old and a bit younger than that. So, you know, you could give them a bit of a shot just if if Hart needed a break and, and Jones wasn't getting the job done. But, you know, long term, I mean, it's it's kind of got to be Carter Hart or you're starting all over again, searching for that number one guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, you know, if if the team plays well in front of him, you know, and obviously, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, I mean, the Flyers beat up on Seattle, you know, six one the other day. Um, you know, they just need him to be decent because they have a very good cast in front of him. And, you know, I, I think it's evolving in a good way. And, you know, Elaine Vigneault is typically a very good defensive coach. So the pieces are all there. And if Hart can just be good, then I think the Flyers will be fine. For sure. I, I think the only potential wrench in the works to watch for would be an injury. So whether it's an injury to Carter Hart or Martin Jones that allows someone from Lehigh Valley to come up because we've seen in the last, especially the last couple of decades that the goaltender position is so fickle that it's not always the prodigy that becomes the star. It can be anyone. Sure. And I'm talking anyone. It's just like running back in the NFL. You could argue we're seeing a shift now where mega prospects are returning to the goaltending position like Spencer Knight and, and Yaroslav Askarov. But I think overall, for every one of those guys you get, you get a whole bunch of Chris Drager types who are not mm-hmm. necessarily A-grade prospects and then they rise to prominence. So sometimes all it takes is the opportunity and someone who is overlooked becomes a star, right? Look at Jordan Bennington, maybe yeah. he's the most high-profile recent example. So I think Carter Hart, the job is going to be his. But if there was some unexpected opening that brings up someone from the AHL, you just never know. Let's say he struggled. Let's say Martin Jones gets hurt, Carter Hart's struggling, and then Felix Sandstrom gets a shot. You never know. It's possible he takes the job. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's still Carter Hart's net, but you always have to keep your mind open when it comes to goaltending. Next question comes from Eamon Devlin. Eamon wants to know, can salary retention be conditional in a trade? This is sort of an open and shut case. Mm. Um, I was pretty sure of the answer, but I did check with an agent, and the answer is definitely no. So when when salary retention happens, it must be announced at the time of the trade, which makes sense because you can't sort of be managing what your cap might be Right. Right. You're trying to plan your signing players to contract. You don't know if you're going to have overages because, well, if this guy signs with the team we traded him to, then uh, this amount of money goes there. You can't sort of plan that way. So the answer is just a hard no. Uh, I don't know if there's anything to add to that one, but we just kind of have the definitive answer for you, Eamon. Uh, Next question. This is from Scott Baker. Scott wants to know, what implications do you think the current Jack Eichel situation has on the next round of CBA negotiations? It's a great question. Um, It's... It's raised an entire hot topic about players' rights to their bodies. And it's hard because as, as upset as Jack Eichel is and Robin Lehner, uh, if you think of it strictly in CBA terms, they can't really be upset because it's what their own 
union bargain. And mm. the way it is right now, uh, I was sort of reviewing it. It's players, they do have the right to a second medical opinion. And if there's a disagreement in the second opinion to what the team doctor says, then a third party can be brought in to sort of bring a resolution. But the team still does have the final say. It's sort of all for show. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's what's being bargained. You can't really argue what's in the CBA. So I, I think players have overlooked it. It's just a matter of, Will the next CBA open that up as a hot topic, which I have to think it will? Yeah, I would agree with you there. And, you know, what I would suspect is that, you know, if you're the Players Association, what you would like to see in the next CBA would be to make it less for show and say, okay, that third party becomes an arbitrator. And the decision goes there because, I mean, this is high stakes, right? And, you know, Robin Lehner alluded to it in his tweets you know, for the team, you know, they want use of that player for the duration of that contract, but the player has to live with that surgery for the rest of their lives, even when they're finished with hockey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for the Players Association, like I said, I, I could certainly see a scenario where they go to the NHL during the next CBA and say, okay, we want this to be more of a binding topic rather than just kind of a suggestion that the team does not have to follow. And, you know, players are becoming more aware of, you know, the rights they have over their own body because their body is their careers. And I think that, you know, when it comes to injuries, particularly surgeries, I mean, these, these processes, you know, these surgeries are getting so much more specific and so much more technically proficient than ever before. And they will continue to get even better that, you know, ailments that used to take an entire season to heal, you know, who knows in the future, it might be six months, it might be six weeks, we, you know, we don't know. Um, but I think there, there needs to be some teeth um, for the Players Association. Now, having said that, if you're going to bargain that, the owners are going to say, well, what are you giving us in return? Because when you're doing this collective bargaining agreement, Obviously, there's push and pull and give and take on all these different topics. So if the players feel very strongly about this, I'm sure the owners are going to come back and say, OK, well, if you want this to be an arbitration issue, we need something else in return. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be part of a much larger process, but it will be interesting to see. Yeah, maybe it's like, OK, if you want this ability to, to make or to have an arbitrator decide, then OK, max term for contracts has to be five years now or something right. like that. Yeah. And I, I do suspect what happened was uh, this situation I, I assume is an anomaly, a situation in which one player disagrees with the team physician because they want to have an experimental surgery. I don't think that's something that happens every day. So I assume the players in the last CBA, the bargaining session, they probably just overlooked this as some small print because they were focusing on bigger topics like the Olympics or you know, whether mm -hmm. it's hockey-related revenue or escrow, whatever it is, the sort of buzzier topics. Mm -hmm. But next negotiations, now this is more front of mind, so I suspect it'll come up and be more prominent in talks. Um, so let's move on to the rapid-fire game. I, I'm feeling good about my questions today. All right. I'm ready to fire some good ones at you. Let's do it. So question one of rapid-fire. If you look at the history of social media, which is the first medium that you felt you were too old to get and understand? You know what? Uh, I do have an answer for this, and it was uh, TikTok. Um, that was the one where I was like, I don't think I can contribute to this. I'm 
a hockey writer. I don't do dances. It feels like there's a lot of lip syncing and dancing in that, which is totally cool. Uh, but that's not something I'm going to partake in. Uh, I dabbled in Snapchat. So I felt like even though I was too old for that, I was like, maybe there's a hockey way of doing this. I did a little bit and then I forgot about it. But TikTok was the first one where I was like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother to sign up. I'm too old for that. Okay. I, I think TikTok is also my answer. Uh, same thing. I'm just overwhelmed by it. And I just, it, it sort of made me feel my age for the first time. Oh my God, a social medium came out and I'm not comfortable using it. I'm, I don't know what to do, but maybe I'm giving myself too much credit because I've really struggled with Instagram. Like, <laughs> I barely know how to do stories. Uh, I didn't know about DMs and Instagram for two years. Ah. So I, I was like, what's this arrow in the top right corner? I clicked it. I had two years of, of messages. I had messages being like, congratulations on the birth of your daughter. My, <laughs> my daughter was three. Right. So maybe, maybe that's when I fell off the map and that's pretty mm. embarrassing. I'm, I'm not even 40, but I'm struggling. Uh, next question, Robert Pattinson as Batman, thumbs mm. up or thumbs down? You know, I'm willing to give him a chance. Uh, it's funny cause I was, I saw the trailer again this morning and it occurred to me, it's like, man, every generation really gets their own Batman, even like sub generations at this point. Because for me, I mean, I remember seeing, you know, the original Michael Keaton Batman. I say original knowing that Adam West was before that, but movies. I remember the Michael Keaton one, but I really feel that Christian Bale was like my Batman, mm -hmm. ultimately, like the Christopher Nolan ones. I'm not a Matt Reeves fan, so my expectations aren't super high, but the trailer looked cool. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure Robert Pattinson will be a good Batman. He's brooding. Mm -hmm. That's all you need. He can mope. I'm just going to, one second, I'm just going to start the keys to the Robert Pattinson bus here. All right. I'm driving that bus. The criticism with Robert Pattinson is, oh, we have an emo Batman. Excuse me? <laughs> Has there ever been a more emo character in the history of pop culture than Batman? Mm. A guy who dresses up in goth clothes, dead parents, only comes out at night? This mm. is the most emo character we have. Yeah, but he and beats people up, which is not emo. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, but I do think that Pattinson is going to be a good Batman, especially because they're going with the, the material from The Long Halloween. They're portraying... This is younger rookie Batman. Mm. So his his physique, he's six foot one, but obviously Pattinson is not going to be jacked the way Christian Bale was for the for uh, Batman Begins. But there's still room for him to grow into that, literally, because mm. they're trying to show Batman when he's early in his career. Uh, and I'm a believer in Matt Reeves. I think he did a fun job with what he did with the, the Planet of the Apes franchise. And it sounds like he's going to explore the detective side of Batman, which is, I think, the one corner that hasn't been explored very well. Um, and also the staging of the physical fighting which i'm a big christopher nolan fan i think he's a very important filmmaker because he's one of the last people that makes sort of original blockbusters mm. look at movies like inception but he's terrible at staging coherent close combat action he's great at set pieces stuff with vehicles mm. amazing dark knight same with dark knight rises the airplane escape in the first scene so good but hand hand combat he has no idea what he's doing you can't see anything whereas what you see in the preview with matt reese it looks very clean you can see batman really beating people up which is mm. fun uh but that's an, obviously a long answer i guess i'm excited about this because i believe gonna be he's gonna be a good batman i believe it uh next question what is the defining game console of your life nice nice i mean it's gonna be nintendo because you know like i grew up that that was the first one that was like the real kind of like revolutionary like i had a coleco vision way back in the day which would basically for you kids out there 
Uh, it basically was like a TV remote control that you slid little plastic uh, cards into and it was attached to the console by a, an old telephone wire. For you kids out there, telephones used to have cords. <laughs> um, and there was, an, uh, there was an Atari as well. But the original Nintendo, that was like mind blown, you know, Super Mario Brothers, like this is a whole new thing right now. So got to go with the original. Okay. And which makes sense. We're probably, I don't know, what are we, four or five years apart in age. So I'd say my defining console is Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I had a regular Nintendo, but Super Nintendo, I think, in terms of just the formative games, NHL 94, Super Mario World, Final Fantasy 3, Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball, Donkey Kong Country, mm. great games. And I just think that system had so much playability, really good play control. It was easy to use. You could fire it up quickly. One of the first systems that allowed you know battery backup memory. You could have seasons and video games and sports games, all that kind of stuff. And shout out to my dad, Mike Larkin, playing with me all the way through, having seasons together in the sports games. Wow. That's some good parenting right there. GameCube for me, I've been literally playing Mario Kart Double Dash in the GameCube on my phone pretty much this entire podcast. Yeah, Steven, <laughs> Steven is younger than the Super Nintendo. So there oh, you go. Wow. That's way too old. I was too young for the Nintendo 64. The GameCube is my first one. Wow. Yeah. Apparently, I, I must have aging on the mind. It's, it's really it's a recurring theme of this Your podcast. mortality is coming up a lot. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, next question. So we know that Russia obviously has the best, or sorry, Olympic athletes from Russia. Is going the to be rock. The, yes, the, yes, exactly. Going to be the most stacked team at the Olympics in net. Mm. But who are you taking? What are your three goaltenders? We know who the number one is, but give me your trio that you're bringing to Beijing. For Russia? Yes. Obviously, Vasilevsky is the starter. I think you go Varlamov as the backup. And uh, I don't know if I even bother with Bob. At this point, I mean, unless he has a really good season with the Panthers, uh, I think you got to go a different direction there. Um, I mean, do you go young and take Askarov just for the experience? I probably actually go with, I'm going to say Sorokin as the third, because he has a lot of good international experience already, and I feel like he might be a tick ahead of Shosturkin, but either Sorokin or Shosturkin would be my third. Okay. I'm going to go Vasilevsky, of course, as a starter. Number two, I'm going to go Igor Shosturkin. Um, I just think if he can play so well for a Rangers team that doesn't play very good defense, I think he's well set up for Because I think that Russia, they're going to have one of the weaker blue lines of, oh, yeah. of the powerhouse teams. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to say experience for my third guy. So I'm going to say Semyon Varlamov. Mm. I would have said Bobrovsky a couple of years ago, but I think Varlamov's playing at a higher level. So Vasi the starter, Varlamov for the experienced tier, and then of the young guns, whether it's Sorokin or Samsonov, Shosturkin, I'm going to go with Shosturkin. Okay, next question. You are in debt with the mob. You have mm. one night to win all the money you need to survive and not be killed. <laughs> what casino game are you playing? Okay, if I have one night... Then I'm going to go Caribbean stud poker because um, I don't know if you've ever played that. I don't play Caribbean stud. Yeah, I looked it up. I had a gambling book at one point. And so the last time I was in Vegas, I tried, tried Caribbean stud poker. And the thing about it is it has like a pot that you can contribute to. And it's like a growing pot. And if you get like a full house or like four of a kind or whatever, and, and the... The dealer qualifies for that hand you could win like a ton of money it's there's almost like a lottery aspect to it on top of the regular poker so if i had to win a bunch of money i would go with caribbean stud poker because i think i would have the best 
chance, even though it's uh, it's risky, it's sort of high risk, high reward, I could get all the money in like one or two hands mm -hmm. if I had amazing luck. Okay. I think uh, my first answer was going to be uh, no limit hold'em because it's at least a game you have some control over. Mm. There's it involves some skill rather than playing something like roulette where it's just odds and math. But I'm thinking outside the box now. I'm going to die anyways. I'm going to cheat. I got nothing to lose. I'm gonna play blackjack. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in maybe another person who's a really good cheater to help me count cards. And if it goes wrong, I don't care. I'm gonna get murdered anyway by the mob. So if it goes well, then I'm great, and I can split the pot with my co-cheater. So I'm playing blackjack and I'm cheating. Last question: Have you ever been nervous to interview anyone in your career? And if so, who? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say. Especially, you know what? I interviewed Don Cherry for his 75th birthday and we met at a restaurant <laughs> in Mississauga. So it was just the two of us. And this was obviously like when Don Cherry was still in the good graces of most Canadians. Um, and, and that was sort of intimidating because you only really see him on TV. So you don't know what the vibe is going to be like and you don't know how much of his personas for show. So going into that, uh, I was pretty nervous. And then it was sort of weird because he wanted to split the check. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, sorry, he wanted to pay for it. And I was like, ah, no, like as a journalist, you know, he's like, well, I'm not gonna split the check. So I'm like, I'll pick up the check. So I paid for Don Cherry's lunch. Oh, there yeah. you go. Because he felt weird about splitting a check. Interesting. Which is fair. I tell you right now, I don't want to split that he's check. He's like, I don't want to get into that, that's weird. So it's All like, right. that's fair enough, I'll pay for it. Okay, good. No, no, he was like properly dressed. <laughs> I guess why not at this age? Yeah. I, I find in terms of nerves, the only players I've ever been nervous to interview are people who are my childhood heroes. Mm. So if, I, if I've if i interviewed, you know, whoever, Sidney Crosby or Ovechkin, I never get nervous. But I was nervous interviewing Marc Messier for the first time. Because yeah. Messier in his prime was a pretty intimidating dude. Sure. And this interview was an on-camera one. So it was like first time meeting Marc Messier. It was on camera. So I didn't want to screw anything up. And it was one of my childhood heroes. So I was a little intimidated by, by the moose. And another one, before I worked for the Hockey News, I did a little bit of MMA. So I interviewed Tiago Alves in an octagon. So if you're a UFC fan, if not, Tiago Alves, his nickname is the Pitbull. He was a contender for the welterweight title back in the day. He fought George St. Pierre. Really big, intimidating guy, too. Fought, fought at a much higher weight than his actual weight class. So And he's just a mean-looking dude. That's why he's nicknamed the Pitbull. So I actually was inside the cage with him. I don't know why they were doing it that way, but I was kind of, suddenly I got nervous and I felt shaky. And I said to him, I never thought I'd be in a cage with you. And I, for some reason it actually made me nervous. Yeah. So that's my answer. That is the end of the rapid fire game. That is also the end of this podcast episode. I don't know why I'm obsessed with aging today, but I just am. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. Thank you for watching and listening. I can feel myself.